Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. You've made the best decision you could possibly make by tuning your ear to the Word of God. I would love to invite you to stay updated with us on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at Revival House Church. Father, bless this person and let the seed of the Word multiply 30, 60, and 100 times over in Jesus' name. So, this morning, I have a quick question. We're gonna, again, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm going to talk about the final piece of God's armor. But the Lord told me to ask this question, and I want you to answer it honestly. Can you do that? You promise. Say, I promise. I'll tell the truth. Let me say, when I ask this question, I'm not, we're not here to judge anybody. There's different people that you may be like me. For a long time, I didn't practice the thing at all that we're going to talk about until I got a hold of it. Um, and, and we'll talk about some of this today, but I just didn't know. Maybe that's you. Maybe you didn't know. Maybe you grew up and you were taught that this is wrong and this is bad. So here's the question. Who has never spoken in other tongues before? Just, just let me see your hand. We got one. Anybody else? Two? Three? Yeah, that's good. Anybody else? You've never spoken in other tongues. You've never received that gift before. Three of you. Three of you are honest. Some of you are not telling the truth because I, I, I have a feeling there's more in this room that you've never spoken in other tongues before. So turn to Ephesians chapter 6. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 6, one final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor. Say all. That means we can't leave a piece out, right? we're going to put on all of the armor, we can't pick and choose. We can't leave a piece out. So I guess we better figure out what the armor is. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. I've been teaching, telling you that God never intended the Christian to be dominated by Satan. God never intended the Christian to be dominated by demonic forces and demonic power. In fact, he gave us these things that, that we've been going over the last several weeks where he said, if you apply these things, you'll stand firm against every strategy of the enemy. That means anything that he throws at you, you can live immune from by the armor of God. Say immune. That means the devil, the devil can lose his grip on your life once and for all when you get a revelation of what we're talking about here. What is the devil's grip? You know, who's the, is the devil, he's not some little, despite what the mascot says on the side of the gym wall, he's not some little red dude with a pitchfork and horns that lives in hell and is just sitting down in some cave that has fire in it waiting for you to die where you'll either go to heaven or go to hell. No, there is a spiritual reality. There is a spirit realm that exists on the very earth in which you stand today. When you walk out of this door, if your eyes could be open, you would see there's a whole spirit world just like there's a physical world. Amen. And in that realm, there's demonic forces. There are demonic powers, principalities, evil spirits, Satan himself. What do they do? They go around. Satan, the Bible says in John 10, he comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. So what do those demonic forces do? Steal, say steal. Say kill, say destroy. They're not trying to get people saved. They're not trying to help anybody. They're trying to steal from you, kill from you, and destroy you. Hallelujah. You got to understand that. And so, this happens every week. You'd think I'd learn by now, right? 
He gave us the armor to live immune from any of those strategies to steal, to kill, to destroy you. You know, and I could just preach on that again and again and again, but you got to understand something. Your children, they don't have to die. You don't have to die. You don't have to be destroyed. When you begin to identify biblically what the hand of the devil is, biblically, say biblically, according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, according to Acts 10, 38, sickness and disease is actually a spirit of infirmity that Jesus dealt with. That's the hand of the devil. So when you understand this, that means that the devil doesn't get to just come and put sickness and disease and infirmity on your life, right? Poverty is the hand of the devil. Poverty did not exist in the Garden of Eden. There is no poverty in heaven. The Bible says, pray that God's will, which be in heaven, be done on the earth. God wants us to make this reality line up with that reality. Poverty, sickness and disease, sin, destruction, none of that entered into the world until after the fall of man when the dominion of the planet was handed over to Satan. Are you with me? So God gave us these things in which we can live immune to the strategies of the devil. It says we're not fighting against evil rulers. I'm sorry, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Say the unseen world. There's a lot of Christians that live totally ignorant to that. There is an unseen world. There's a world that exists right here that you cannot see with your physical eyes. Against mighty powers in the dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. So what did he say? Suck it up, buttercup. That's just part of it. No. Therefore, since we live in this realm, since we're in this battle against this, these the spiritual forces in the unseen world, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll still be standing firm. Hallelujah. Stand your ground. Here's the armor, putting on the belt of truth. So truth is part of God's armor. The body armor of God's righteousness. Righteousness is a part of God's armor. Shoes for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news of the gospel so that you'll be fully prepared. We talked about carrying the gospel, being a soul winner, being a man or woman on assignment. That's part of God's protection for you. There's protection on assignment. Amen. Um, So... And it says, in addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith. Say faith. Faith. What happens if you hold up the shield of faith? You'll stop the fiery darts or fiery arrows of the devil. I like the King James and New King James of that verse. It says, hold up the shield of faith with which you will quench every fiery dart of the enemy. Say every. Every. Lastly, it says, put on salvation as your helmet. Salvation It's part of the armor of God. And take the sword of the spirit. We dealt with that last week. Taking and yielding. How to yield the word of God offensively against the enemy. God doesn't just want us to be on the defense. He gave us tools to be on the offense. means we don't got to sit back and just boom, boom, boom. You know, like Lester, uh, what was his name? Um, Guy that played Rocky. I know his name. Sylvester Stallone. You know, in Rocky, he's just getting beat up for all those rounds. That's like, that's all the Christian knows is just getting slapped around by the devil. Well, we're not called to just sit there and take blows. He's given us the word of God, which it says in that unseen world, when you learn how to use this word, it's like a sword in that unseen world. It goes and it it tears down strongholds. It dismantles enemies. Hallelujah. It cancels assignments. It goes to work. It never returns void. But we have to learn how to use the word. And then, here's this last piece. 
This is interesting. My whole life, I remember being a kid in, you know, in the nursery and children's church, and I would see the armor of God. I would watch Veggie Tales and, and hear the stories about the armor of God. I'd see posters that have the armor of God on the wall, like many of you have. But it always stops in verse 17. It always stops with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And the devil does that on purpose because look at the very next line. There's no break. There's a continuation. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. So what does that mean? Praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in the Spirit is actually a piece of God's armor. We got entire denominations that don't even believe or practice this. So what does that mean? We have entire denominations that are teaching Christians, training up Christians to walk deficient of a very vital piece of God's armor. You know, it's like, how come, how come that's every song you hear on Caleb? It's just defeat. Lord, you don't move the mountain. Lord, when you don't do it, Lord, when everything just falls apart, I'm still just going to love you anyway. And it's just people getting beat up by the devil, never winning, never overcoming, just always living subject to the enemy. Well, why is that? Because I really believe because a lot of Christians, they neglect this piece of the armor. You can't neglect any piece. He said, put on all of God's armor, the full armor of God. Hallelujah. So if you cut verse 18 out, you're not putting on the full armor of God. Guess what? If you're not putting on the full armor of God, you don't live immune from the strategies of the enemy. You have to have all of it. Say all of it. So this last piece, it's pray in the spirit. Say pray in the spirit. Another term this morning is tongues. Say tongues. I know in Huntington, East Texas, and Baptist country, USA, you start talking about tongues. Someone's, you know, bound to pull out a gun and try to snipe me from across the street. But this is what the Bible says. Hallelujah. This is critical for your continual victory over the enemy. Pray in the Holy Ghost. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's not something to be scared of. A lot of people don't even know anything about it. We encounter people all the time who you start ministering to, and when it comes to this, speaking in tongues, being baptized in the Holy Ghost, they back up and they're, I want nothing to do with that. Why don't you want anything to do with that? I have no idea. I've just been told my whole life that it's bad and that it's not from God. Well, I'm sorry you've believed a lie because it's in the Bible. Are you all with me? And so say, pray in the Spirit. I'm going to give you some facts about tongues this morning. Is that all right with you? Let's give you some facts. Write this down for fact number one. We're talking about praying in, in the spirit. We're talking about speaking in tongues. This is an amazing gift that the Lord gave. So you need to get this settled. Number one, it is for all believers. Say all believers. It's not just for some. It ain't just for pastors. It ain't just some special gift that some people get, but it's not for everybody to have, no. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that it's for all believers. You know, I'll give you the first point. How do we know it's for all believers? Well, because let me ask you this. Is the rest of God's armor for every believer? Say yes. So truth, is truth for every believer or is that just for some believers? No, it's for every believer. Is righteousness just for some believers or every believer? It's for every believer. 
right? Is, is, is the gospel of peace for every believer or some believers? It's for every believer. Is the helmet of salvation, is that for some believers or every believer? That's for every believer. Is the shield of faith for some believers or every believer? That's for every believer. Is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, for some believers or for every believer? It's for every believer. So then how can we read verse 18 and then isolate that and separate it and think, well, all the rest is for everybody, but this one's just for some people people that that is you can't do that you're tearing apart the word and you're not reading it for what it says say it's for all believers just like the rest of God's armor in Mark 16 17 Jesus tells his apostles to go and preach to everyone say everyone go and preach the gospel to all creation those that believe and receive it will be saved but those that refuse it will be condemned And he goes on to say this, these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. Say those who believe. Not some who believe. Anybody, he said, who accepts this gospel, you'll see these signs following their life. He said, they'll cast out demons in my name. Y'all, it's for every believer to cast out demons. You know why? Because every believer has been given the name of Jesus, which is the name above every name, where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. You've been given the authority in that name to cast out devil spirits. They'll cast out devils. It says this. They'll speak in new languages. Other translations say they'll speak in other tongues. Say believers. This sign, as the gospel's going out and people are getting saved, this sign will follow these that are getting saved. They'll cast out devils. They'll speak in other tongues. So that tells you right there, Jesus never envisioned a Christian that didn't receive this gift. He didn't. You say, well, you're saying I can't be a Christian if I don't have this gift? I'm not saying that. I'm saying Jesus never envisioned a Christian that didn't have this gift. He never planned on a Christian not having this gift. Because it wasn't even conceivable, because it's clear, it was so clear, this is God's gift, this is God's plan, it's laid out in the book of Acts, we'll look at it A, B, C, but we've had doctrine of demons come up and try to strip people away from this powerful gift and tool the Lord gave us. Anything that tells you that this is not for you, it's a doctrine from a devil. Hallelujah. So it's for all believers, just like the rest of the armor. He said, these signs will follow those who believe. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Ghost was poured out, there was 120 people in an upper room. Guess how many people spoke in other tongues? 120, not 30 of them, and then the other, you know, whatever, 90 didn't, because it's just for some and not for all. All 120 spoke in other tongues. Because why? It's for every believer. Are you with me? When Cornelius' house got the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 10, how, much, how many of the Gentiles in Cornelius' house spoke in other tongues? All of them. In Acts chapter 19, when Paul found some believers that had been saved and water baptized but not been baptized in the name of Jesus and, and baptized in the Holy Ghost, he laid his hands on them. And how many of those believers got the Holy Ghost and spoke in other tongues? Say all of them. So if this is something that offends you, I'm telling you the problem's not with the word, it's with you. Right? Humble yourself. Humble yourself. 
There's not a problem with what I'm telling you. If you don't like it, there's a problem with you. Hallelujah. Which that's not a, a condemning statement. That's not meant to condemn you. That's just a reality where you're like, okay, this is clear in the word. So if I got an issue, maybe I need to humble myself below. Maybe I, here's a crazy thought. Maybe, Lord, I put your word above myself. I put your word above my thoughts. I put your word above what Uncle Bucky taught me when I was nine years old because your word says it. Write this down for point number two. These are facts about tongues, facts about praying in the spirit. Point number two is it is the initial evidence of being baptized in the Holy Ghost. That's a fancy way to say this. When people were baptized in the Holy Ghost, the first thing that happened is they spoke in tongues. Amen. In fact, I'll say it this way. The only biblical standard that we have to know somebody's been baptized in the Holy Ghost is if they speak in other tongues. Right? And, and I'm saying, I know that we teach, like I've heard, even in Pentecostal circles. Y'all, this is not an Assemblies of God church. But this, what I'm telling you, was traditionally Assemblies of God foundational doctrine. But most Assemblies of God uh, churches are even getting away from this. And they're trying to tell people, well, you can be baptized in the Holy Ghost and you don't have to speak in, in other tongues. There's all these other gifts. There's all these other parts of the body. I understand that, but that's not biblical. Because, in fact, how did Peter, we'll look at this in Acts chapter 10, but how did Peter know that the Gentiles had received the gift of the Holy Ghost? It says, for he heard them speaking in other tongues and prophesying. That was the judge. That was the standard. That's how they knew that these other believers had received it. When they heard them speaking in tongues, they said they got it. God's baptized them with his spirit. That's the only standard. Amen. It is the initial evidence of being baptized in the Holy Ghost. Also, you need to get this. Being baptized in the Holy Ghost is the promise of the New Testament. Say the promise. Jesus did not only promise us salvation. Salvation really pertains, listen to me, salvation pertains to life after earth. The Bible says that we will be saved on that day. That day, if we breathe our last breath and we go stand in heaven and we await that day of judgment or we're alive when Jesus Christ returns, that day we shall receive salvation. We'll be saved from death, hell, and the grave. Are you with me? So salvation was not the promise just of the New Testament. The promise is the Holy Ghost. And I'll show you, I'll prove that to you in Acts chapter 1 in just a moment. But look at this in Luke 3.16. These are some verses that I would recommend memorizing. Everybody knows John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only begotten son, so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You also need to learn Luke 3.16. Same 3.16, but instead of John, Luke. And it's this. John answered their question by saying, I baptized you with water. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. 
So much greater, I'm not even worthy to be a slave or untie his, the straps of his sandals. Speaking of Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So the promise of Jesus was not just that he would save you. No, this Messiah's coming and he's going to give you this gift. He's going to give you the Holy Ghost. He's going to baptize you in the Holy Ghost. He's going to baptize you in fire. Say fire. We need more fire in the church today. We got to get back to this. One of the greatest revivals in history is known as the Azusa Street Revival. Who's heard of the Azusa Street Revival? One of the greatest revivals in history. Do you know what birthed it? A black man in the time of segregation went to California, and he had one message. You can be baptized in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Methodists got a hold of it. Baptists got a hold of it. They started getting baptized in the Holy Ghost. They started speaking in tongues, and it birthed the Azusa Street Revival that went on for several years. we got to get that in America. Religion's not going to cut it. Church. The bells and whistles, and I know if I were to go to any modern church conference, they would tell you, you need to have a 35-minute message. You need to get the click tracks for your worship team. You need to get the laser lights. You need to implement all these little bells and whistles. All the, all the while, America's going to hell in a handbasket. No one's getting saved. We're all fighting over the same little 15% of people that are already saved. That's all churches are doing. Let's just implement some things, not to win the lost, the broken, and the unsaved. Let's implement the little bells and whistles so that Sally Sue that goes to that church will come over to this church and break her tie money with her. We're not going out. The lost and the we have an entire generation going to hell right now. And if that don't bother you, I pray you get the Holy Ghost in you because it needs to bother the fire out of you. It needs to bother you. I've been praying. I was like, Lord, I'm going to call. This next week, I'm going to call the skate ranch. I don't care how much money it costs. If they'll let me do it. I'm like, I'm going to rent that thing out and just do free admission on a Friday night and ask if all I can do is give away, give, give, give away things to kids and then give, have a gospel presentation. Because I'm not satisfied. I'm not satisfied with our generation going to hell. I'm not satisfied with the lies that are being told. And the religion, that's all that it is, is just religion. We're raising our kids up in religion. And what are we figuring out? 20 years, 30 years of religion, it's not working because people aren't continuing to serve the Lord. Kids are graduating high school and they're leaving the church by 80, 80%, 85%. They're going to a university that teaches them to hate the things of God, that, teach, that deconstructs God in their hearts, and we're losing a generation and religion's not going to do it. You know, the only thing that's going to do it is what did it the first time, being baptized in the fire and in the Holy Ghost. The church in America needs to get back. We need to get baptized in fire and in the Holy Ghost. Say fire. Say the Holy Ghost. In fact, as we'll read in Acts chapter 1, Jesus wouldn't even let them leave Jerusalem until they received this. You got to get this first because if you try to go have church without it, it ain't going to work. 
If you try to go have revival without it, it ain't going to work. It's going to burn out. It's going to die. But if you'll press in, if you'll tarry, if you'll keep pushing, and you'll wait until the Father gives it to you, I'll birth my church. And let me tell you something, guys. We're 2,000 years down the road, and we're still running with the same fire that he poured out in Acts chapter 2. We're still eating from the tree of the revival of Jerusalem of Acts chapter 2. Hallelujah. So look, this is the promise. Say the promise. In Acts chapter 1, verse 5 through 8. Once he was eating with him, this was before he ascended to heaven. And he said, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift that he promised. Not a gift, the gift. Say the gift. Not some little cute, fun thing to do on Sunday. The, there is no other gift. This is the gift. What's the gift? As I told you before, John baptized with water. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The gift from God in the new covenant is being baptized in the Holy Ghost. Why am I telling you that? Because when they got baptized in the Holy Ghost, the, the only evidence was they spoke in other tongues. According to the scripture. Say baptized. And look what he goes on. We'll continue to read. Look at verse 8. So he said, in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's verse 5. Skip down to verse 8. You will, what happens when this, is it just to dance around? Is it just to be good Christians? And which y'all, I mean, honestly, I'm going to, I'm going to be honest with you. Maybe I'm judging because the Bible says man judges on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Even watching sometimes our church in worship, it's disappointing. Not seeing people get a hold of this. I'm sorry, I don't want anybody going to hell because they're backslidden in this church. If that's offensive to you, like, John, really, you're going to judge us that we don't want to seem passionate about the things of the Lord? I don't want you to be backslidden. Are you with me? So, again, it's not just so we can come in here and, you know, he said, you shall receive power. Say power. When you get baptized in the Holy Ghost, what happens? The power, the dunamis, the dynamite of God comes on your life. Say power. Power. What does this power do? He says, when you receive this power, you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, through Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Part of this fire from the Holy Ghost is it changes you from the inside out. Y'all, I'm telling you, when I was a kid, ask my family that me standing in front of people to, to talk, to preach, it, it wouldn't have happened. There was a time in my life I didn't even, I wouldn't take a hood off of my head. What happened? The fire of God changed me. It changed me. The fire of God changes you. The power of God, it changes you. You receive this dunamis, dynamite power. You receive the same anointing that came on Jesus in Luke chapter 4, which is this. Look at, turn there, Luke chapter 4. Verse 18, 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Say, upon me. So Jesus is talking about this, that there was a moment where the Spirit, when he was baptized in the water, that was a symbol, a type of being baptized in the Holy Ghost. He came out of the water, and it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. What happened when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him? It anointed him. He received power in his earthly ministry to do what? He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blinds will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. What happens when you receive this power? The Spirit comes upon you. It changes you, and it commissions you. It launches you to do what? To go and, and bring good news to the poor, to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, to lay your hands on the sick, he said in Mark 16, and they shall recover, that the oppressed will be set free, to cast out demons, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Y'all, I'm convinced because I know I'm talking about tongues and that the initial evidence of speaking in tongues or of being baptized in the Holy Ghost is speaking in tongues. But I'm also convinced that there is a lot of hyper charismatic people that speak in tongues, but they've never been baptized in the Holy Ghost. They do it in the flesh. Why? Because they don't witness to anyone. They'll come in the church house and oh, praise the Lord. But they've never been anointed. That fire's never came in them. They're still in porn. They're still in addiction. They're not out being a bold witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. They stay in a little Pentecostal circle of the same five people while the rest of the world goes to hell. Don't tell me you've been baptized in the Holy Ghost then. Something changes on the inside of you when you receive this gift from the Lord. It gives you new vision you've never had before. And you, you realize that you're called to a single purpose. That you may have been a doctor, you may have been a lawyer, you may have been an electrician. But when that power, that fire comes upon you, now you're a harvester. Don't matter where you go to work, you're there to be a harvester from, for the Lord. Are you all with me? When believers received the Holy Ghost, when they were baptized... In the Holy Ghost, the first manifestation was tongues. In Acts chapter 2, I'll just read you a few examples. On the day of Pentecost, so now he says, wait in Jerusalem till you receive the gift the Father promised you. So they're waiting in Acts chapter 2. Here's when it comes. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. It filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Everyone was present, was filled with the Holy Ghost. Say everyone was filled with the Holy Ghost and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. They began speaking in other tongues, another translation says. In Acts chapter 10, Peter's preaching to the Gentiles for the first time in human history, and it says in verse 44, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all. Say all. On who? All. On who? All. Who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. How did they know? For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Acts chapter 19. Yeah. 
Verse 1, while Paulos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them. No, they replied. We hadn't even heard there was a Holy Spirit. What baptism did you experience? He asked. They said the baptism of John. Paul said John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one coming later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. What happened when the Holy Spirit came on them? They received power. What happened when the Holy Spirit came on them? This is the same thing that happened to Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, and he's anointed me. Say, he's anointed you. What happens when you get baptized in the Holy Ghost? The anointing comes on you. And as soon as they heard this, it says, he laid his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came on them. And what happened? They spoke in other tongues, and they prophesied. Say all believers. Again, we see Jesus said it. We see that it's clear throughout Paul's letters. We see that it's clear throughout the blueprint of the book of Acts. You are to get saved. You are to get baptized in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Are you with me? So now we're talking about what tongues is. So let me ask you this question. Why? If you're like me, I like to think, when I read the Bible, I like to ask the Lord the question, why? Why tongues, Lord? There's all these other gifts of the Spirit. There's nine gifts of the Spirit. There's prophecy. There's discernment, discerning of spirits, right? There's uh, words of wisdom, words of knowledge. There's the gift of faith, the working of miracles, the gift of healing, How come tongues? Why tongues first? Why didn't they get baptized in the Holy Ghost and then they just got the gift of faith? Why was it tongues? And in that question, there's powerful truths that will show you why it's so critical to do what Paul said in Ephesians 6. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Why is tongues so significant? Why is it important? Why was it first? Every time it was first. Say every time. I'll tell you this, and I'll explain it, but I believe tongues is the tool every baby Christian needs first. From the scripture, I believe tongues is the first tool every baby Christian needs. Every Christian needs it, but I'm saying, why was it first? I'll tell you why. Number one, when you pray in tongues, you build yourself up. So what happens when you're praying in other tongues? You receive this gift. Now all of a sudden you're baptized in the Holy Ghost. You're speak, you've got this thing the Lord's opened up in your life where you can at will, say at will. Tongues works just like every other gift. Tongues works just like prophecy works. Did you know the Bible says the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet? What that means is that when you have that gift from the Lord, you can actually access it. In fact, Somebody that truly has the gift from the Lord, somebody, you know, people can put a demand where you can stand up and and it's like you just turn it on and you can begin to prophesy the word of the Lord. It's really true. Tongues works the same way. It's subject to you. You can operate in tongues at your own will. If you couldn't, then why would Paul say pray in the spirit on every occasion, on all occasions? If it was just something that lifted, that came on you and came off, how could you do it at all occasions on every occasion? You couldn't. It has to be something that's of your own free will. 
I can stand right here. And I can enter right into praying in the Holy Ghost. Are you with me? So here's the question then. What's actually happening when you do that? Number one, when you pray in tongues, you build yourself up. 1 Corinthians 14.4. It says a person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. Say personally. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. You got that? But one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. The Bible says in Jude 1.20, Dear friends, you must build each other up in your most holy faith. How? Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you look at the Greek, it just says pray in the Holy Spirit. Say building up. So again, why was this first? When you get saved, guess what? You're going to go through testing times. Do you know that? You will go through tests. When you decide to live for Jesus and now all of a sudden you're like, I'm not going to watch that stuff anymore. I'm not going to smoke that stuff anymore. I'm not going to drink that stuff anymore. Now that I'm living for Jesus, now the family members that I've loved my whole life, now they're turning against me. Now my own friends are turning against me. Now I'm having all these problems and all these pressures and guess what? You feel like you're being beat down. You feel like you're being discouraged. So what did God give us up front? A gift that if you'll begin to flow in it, you can actually build up your faith and build yourself up. Hallelujah. That means the day that you're struggling. Well, I'm believing to be free from addiction. Whenever that temptation comes on you, you can pray in the Holy Ghost. And as you begin to pray in the Holy Ghost, you build your inner man up. Are you with me? It's so powerful. So what's happening when you pray in, in tongues? Number one, you're building yourself up. What else is happening when you pray in tongues? Praying in tongues or praying in the Spirit is the key to releasing the glory of God wherever you are. Hallelujah. I want you to look in Acts chapter 2. In verse 1, we'll read it again. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames, say flames. Okay, if you were in that upper room that first day, and, and I'll also say this too, and, and, and I've heard many stories of people still seeing physical flames. I've heard stories of, of revival in the past where like a Methodist church across the street comes running and fire trucks start pulling up to a church and the guys, the, the church comes out like, what's going on? And they say, you're building, it was on fire. What do you mean? We were sitting across the street, it's dark outside, and there were literally flames coming out of the top of the building. There was a, we thought your building was on fire. And then they come, nothing's burnt, nothing's on fire. What was that? That, that was the, the glory of God. You know, that stuff still happens. But it doesn't have to happen every single time. It's like when people get baptized in the Holy Ghost, even in this church, how come we don't just see the flames? Well, I'm God did it really the first time to show those people something. Are you with me? Say the flame. So to just give you an idea of this, all throughout the Old Covenant, God's manifest glory and presence was 
displayed through a holy fire. When God spoke to Moses at the burning bush, it said it was like a bush that was on fire. Say fire. When God spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, it was like a holy fire. God led the Israelites by this fire, this pillar of fire by the night that led them. Elijah called down a holy fire from the Lord. The Bible says that when you look into the eyes of Jesus in Revelation, his eyes are like a flame of fire. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that our God is an all-consuming fire. Say fire. So these Jewish boys, they knew the stories. They knew about Moses. They knew about the Israelites. They knew what that fire meant. It was the Shekinah glory, the manifest presence of God. Okay? So get this now. Here's the, the reality of the new covenant. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, don't you realize that your body, say my body, is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and who is given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself. So something switched when Jesus resurrected from that grave and he paid the price. God's presence, God's glory, it didn't dwell in a temple anymore. It didn't dwell in a box anymore. Are you with me? No, and all of a sudden, we became the temple of the Holy Ghost. So now understand this. That's why in that room, the day they received the promise, the fire, the same fire that was at that bush with Moses, the same fire that led the Israelites in the wilderness, the same fire that fell on Mount Sinai, it began to swirl in that room. It was the manifest presence of God, and it says it settled on each of them. It came on every man, and I, and I could imagine that it just disappeared into their innermost being. What was that? Now God's glory is in you. God's presence is in you. So then here's, here's the thing now. Now God's glory, God's presence is in you. How do you let it out? What was the first thing that happened? They began speaking in other tongues. What was God showing us there? Now that glory that's in you, if you want what's in you to come out of you, here's the tool, how to release what's in you out of you. Just begin speaking in other tongues. When you begin praying in the spirit, the glory of God begins to fill the place in which you pray. In the Azusa Street Revival, before they would even preach, they would all, as a church, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, they would all sing in the spirit until the glory of God filled the room. Hopefully, am I boring y'all this morning, anybody? No? Something happens when a, a group of people come together in unity and just begin to and then the, the glory of God fills the room. The presence of God fills the room. You can do it in your house and the glory of God will fill your home. It's the key to releasing the manifest presence of God. Okay, so you see why it's so important? It builds you up. It releases the glory of God. Number three, what else happens when you pray in tongues? What's happening? The Bible says this, the Spirit prays through you, releasing the word and perfect plan of God. The Spirit prays through you, releasing the word and the perfect plan of God. I'll show you how significant this is here. So here's the scripture behind that, Romans 8, 26 through 28. Paul said, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Say our weakness. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. When you first get saved, you ain't, your spirit man's not very big yet. 
Amen. You have to grow in the spirit. There's a learning curve when you first get saved. Are you with me? There's things now you just enter into a realm that you don't know anything about. And you can't know all about it in one day. You know that? You can't learn everything there is to know in one day. You can't learn it in one year. You can't learn it in 10 years. I don't believe you can learn it in a million years because of how vast God is. So really, as long as we're on this earth, we've received all the promises of God. But in our, fl- in our nature, in our human nature, while we're still bound in this nature, there will always be kind of a learning curve in, the, in our weakness. Say our weakness. I don't have that weakness you're talking about. Really, how many dead people have have been raised? Anybody? Anybody raised the dead in here? I think I almost raised the dead. My daughter was unresponsive when she was born, and she came alive when I prayed. That was the closest thing to resurrection I've ever seen. But say weakness. So there's this curve here. The Holy Spirit will help us. God doesn't leave us in our weakness. It says the Spirit will help us in our weakness. For example, when we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us. Say pleads for us. The Spirit makes intercession for us. In harmony with God's will. God's own will. And and, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purposes for them. So hold on to that, okay? Now tie this together with it. If something is to be bound or loosed on the earth, it has to come from us. So hold on to what I just said. How the Holy Ghost helps us. When we don't know what to say, when we don't know what to pray, we can pray in the spirit and God will intercede. God, who is the creator, will intercede through us. So understand this now, Matthew 16, 18 through 19. Peter, Jesus said, now I say to you, Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I'll build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. I don't know about you, but that's the church I'm a part of. All the powers of hell will not conquer it. And God said this. Jesus said, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Say, I have the keys. We as the church have the keys. He said, what you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. What you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. You know, the reality is most Christians say, Lord, why did you allow this to happen? And God's saying, why did you allow this to happen? I said, if you'll bind it, I'll bind it. If you'll loose it, I'll loose it. If you forbid it, I'll forbid it. But if you don't forbid it, guess what? It stays on. Unfor- it, it, doesn't, it doesn't get bound. And the devil's left to run around and do whatever the heck he wants because nobody's standing in their authority over him. So if, it, if it's going to be bound, we have to bind it. So if it doesn't come out of our mouth, it doesn't get done. You think about that. God, when he delivered the Israelites, why didn't God just snap his fingers? No, he sent Moses to do it. When God wanted something done, he had to raise up a man to do it. Why? Because man has been given the authority over the earth. This is what Psalms chapter 8 says. Psalms 8, 4 through 8. What are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings. Say human beings. That's us, guys. Anybody in here a human being? Nobody in here is a monkey, right, or a dog or a cow. No, we're all human beings. 
So speaking of human beings, it says you made them only a little lower than God, crowning them with glory and honor. You gave them charge over everything you made. Human beings. So who's in charge of the earth? Putting all things under whose authority? Their authority. The flocks, the herds, the wild animals, the birds, the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims in the ocean currents. So again, God made man. God made the earth. God put the earth under man. Jesus came and restored the keys back to man. What you bind, I'll bind. What you loose, I'll loose. What you forbid, I'll forbid. But if you don't do it, I won't do it. You have to do it. So here's kind of the, follow me here. What happens when you're a new Christian and you don't know how to bind? You don't know how to loose. You don't know what to bind. You don't know what to loose. You don't know what to forbid because you're just coming into this thing, right? What, but God, he won't go outside of his word. You have to do it. If you don't do it, it don't get done. Are you with me? God's not like, well, I'll just help you and I'll, I'll step outside of the boundaries of my word to help you because you're just an immature Christian right now. No, his word is his word. It never changes. Are you with me? So what, what's the solution then when you don't know those things? You can pray in the Holy Ghost and God will use your authority. God will use your mouth. God will use the place that he's put you and he'll begin to pray in the spirit through you, out of your mouth. Now all of a sudden there's a loophole to the rule. You don't know what to bind, but you can pray in the spirit and the Holy Ghost, what is he doing? He's binding things that have to be bound. He's loosing things that have to be loose. He's forbidding things that must be forbidden. There's an assignment against your life that you don't even know about. There's an assignment maybe from the enemy to kill you and your children next month. You don't know, but the Holy Ghost knows. Has anybody that's been filled with the Holy Ghost ever been in that place? You're just driving down the road, and it's like an unction will rise up. I need to pray in the Spirit, and I need to do it right now. And you'll just begin to pray, and you're like, how long do I pray? I'm going to pray until I feel released to stop. You never know what God could be saving you from. We're just waiting on God to sovereignly do everything. No, it has to come through us. That's the gift. That's why. I told you, I believe tongues is the first gift every baby Christian needs. That's what God used to birth this church. You know, think about that. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to wrap it up with this. But they didn't have, in the book of Acts, they didn't have the book of Acts. Do you know that? In the book of Acts, they didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They didn't have Paul's epistles. They didn't have the book of Revelation. They didn't have any of that. They had Old Testament scrolls and word-of-mouth stories and testimonies. They couldn't turn to Acts 10.38 and, and read where Jesus went around doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil. So how did this church live so victoriously over the power of the enemy? Through the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost helped them in their weaknesses. They devoted, they would pray. I'm telling you, that early church, man, you go to a prayer meeting, they would pray in the Holy Ghost. And what, what would happen? In their weakness, things they didn't even know, God would begin to make things, put things where they need to be, do what needs to be done. Hallelujah. Man, that's just so powerful. 
Now, do you understand now, let me end with this thought here. Why? To loop this all together, in Ephesians 6, this is a part of the armor of God. Say the armor. Because when you pray in the Holy Ghost, it acts as defense to protect you. And it also acts as offense to go and win battles for you. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, if there's like one person in this room that cares about what I'm saying, touch them with the word this morning. Hallelujah. You know, so let me just ask you this question here. How do you receive the Holy Ghost? I can tell you a few principles. Number one, God's not a demon. So that means he doesn't possess you. He doesn't try to put, if you don't want what I'm talking about, guess what? You'll get exactly what you want, which is nothing. You won't get it. Because God ain't going to possess you. He's not going to just zap you. And if God could do that, then, then that would mean he could override human will. And if he could override human will, then everybody just can go to heaven. No one has to go to hell. No one has to preach the gospel. He'll just zap every person and make them be saved and make them serve and follow him. He doesn't do that. If you don't want it, you won't get it. The Bible spoke of, he said, if you earthly fathers, Jesus said, know how to give good gifts. If your child asks you for bread, do you give them stone? No, he said, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Say ask. So if you want this, if you want this gift, if you want to be baptized in the Holy Ghost, if you want that fire that we read about in Acts chapter 2 to come and consume you, you have to ask the Lord for it. If you're not asking, you're not going to get it. And, and asking, that means you have to get hungry. You have to get thirsty. You have to get desperate. Come on, somebody. There's a desperation to receiving this gift. In Acts, in Acts chapter 2, they had to linger in that room for several days before the Holy Ghost was poured out. What does that mean? You know, the Bible says that when Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to over 500 people. How come there was only 120 in the upper room? These people saw him hang on a cross and saw him with their physical eyes raised from the dead, and they still didn't show up. Are you, are you, you know, and, and I guarantee you that when that prayer meeting started in the upper room, there was more than 120 in there. I guarantee it. I guarantee that there was probably close to 500 in there. But what happened? It wasn't microwavable. It wasn't just some little quick jiffy lube. You pull in, you get it, a quick oil change, and you come out. No, day one came and went, and guess what? No Holy Ghost. Guess what? People got tired. Yeah, I'm good. Day two, day three, day four. Day, the, the days just kept rolling on, and people began to dwindle away until finally on the day of Pentecost, they were all together in one accord. You know, this may sound like a stupid question coming from a preacher, but wasn't it Jacob who wrestled with God? He wrestled with the angel, and what did he say? I won't let go until you bless me. That's the mentality they had in Acts chapter 2 in that upper room. We won't leave until we get it, Lord. 
I don't care if we come every day for a year. We'll keep coming and coming and coming. And I won't quit until you anoint me. I won't quit until you give me that real fire, not religion. I won't quit until you baptize me in the Holy Ghost. Guys, that's not known in Christianity today. What if we got a generation of Christians that said, Lord, uh, this generation needs to be reached. I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pay the price to receive an anointing for this generation. I'll do whatever it takes, Lord. And I won't stop until I get it. I'm telling you, you watch God begin to raise people up left and right. He'll use you. He'll send you. He'll anoint you. But you've got to get out of lethargy this morning. I'm not about to do another altar call where I have the same 10 people that are hungry come to receive and everybody else sit back and spectate. Actually, I don't feel from the Lord to lay hands on anyone in this room because if you're hungry, you'll keep coming back. If you want this, what I'm talking about, if you came here this morning, some of you see that what we're doing here, we're not doing the religious thing. We're not just giving you some religious thing. There. It's real. It's, trans, it's transformative. You want the Holy Ghost? Come tonight at 6 o'clock to our prayer meeting. You want an anointing from Jesus Christ? Come. Get hungry. I've been guilty of that because we have people that only come to certain things, and so you try to fit everything in, and, want, and, and I'm learning. God doesn't work like that because it ain't a jiffy lube shop where it costs you nothing and he just gives you everything. That's not how it works. The Bible actually says, Jesus said, I don't cast my pearls to swine. And I'm not calling anybody a swine, all right? Amen. Sorry, I, I, I feel like I've offended the whole room. I'm sorry. But I am telling you the God honest truth. There's got to be some desperation. You know, it's so weak But the Lord quickened me. I was listening to an old prophet, Leonard Ravenhill, and he was talking about in the first great awakening. Because I don't know, if you're just geared towards having a little church service, I'm, I'm telling you right now, I'm warning you. Just go ahead and leave and don't worry about making this place your church. Because you're going to be at odds with me. I'm going to be at odds with you. That's not what we're doing. Are you with me? I, I read about the first great awakening in the United States of America. Where pubs, bars were shutting down. You know, we're literally, there's cities that, that they had to let the police go. There wasn't one single police officer in the city because there was no crime for two years. Because revival changed the DNA of a nation. Well, everything we're eating from came from the DNA of these shakings that took place in our founding years. I believe God's going to do it again in these last days. I don't believe in the third great awakening. I believe in the greatest awakening. Hallelujah. But, you know, I was listening, and John Wesley, he was the man that led the first great awakening. You weren't even allowed to be ordained under him to be a preacher unless you fasted Wednesdays and Fridays. If you weren't willing to fast Wednesday and Fridays, you couldn't even be considered to be on his roster of being a preacher. When I heard that, it convicted me. Y'all, because I was like, all Christianity today is, is the skinny jeans, smoke machine, sit at a table and have a latte and, and just talk about biblical concepts. And it's not doing the job in America. 
And I said, Lord, if they had to fast two days a week in the first great awakening, I'm going to fast Wednesdays, and I'm going to fast Fridays. And, and, and I'm telling you, there's something that happens when God sees you're serious about the anointing, when you're serious about revival, when you're serious about his kingdom coming to the earth, you'll keep coming, you'll keep pushing, you'll be like Jacob who says, I refuse to quit, and what'll happen is there will come a moment, there'll come a day where God will dip you in the kerosene of his spirit, and it will change the very DNA of who you are. It'll mark you, it will change you, it will launch you, it'll become a fire that shut up in your bones, like the prophet said. Hallelujah. If I were to leave Huntington, Texas and move to Pennsylvania, you know what I would be doing next week? The same thing I'm doing today. Because I can't do anything else. It's cha- it, something's changed in me. Hallelujah. Just lift your hands. Father, I pray that you stir these people in the mighty name of Jesus. Stir them, Lord, to get hungry in this church. Stir them, Lord. I know that your solution, we pray for this church house to be filled. But Lord, you're not going to just send us a bunch of lethargic, backslidden Christians that are a part of somebody else's congregation. This church house will get filled when these believers get baptized and full of the Holy Ghost and begin to go out and do the assignment of Jesus Christ. Win the lost. Pray for the sick. Cast out devils. People's hearts will be changed. They'll bring them into the church house and you'll fill your house that way, Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, I thank you for speaking to people's hearts. I thank you that this word was convicting. It was sharper than a two-edged sword this morning, that it separated, that it convicted, that it exposed innermost thoughts and desires. Now, Holy Ghost, have your way and, and speak to your children. Pour out your spirit on them. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Y'all really, you, you receive it? Come on. Lord, bless them for being hearers of the word in Jesus' name. If you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the Lord is doing, check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.